Welcome to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and I'm joined in studio by Motley Fool Senior Analysts Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, welcome. Good to be with you, Chris, Chris. as ever. We're taping on Thursday because we just couldn't wait. It's my fault. Parents are coming to town, baby to show off. I got to take tomorrow off, so this is it. Sorry, It's all about Seth. I hope nothing important happens Friday. Fingers crossed. On today's show, we'll look at the latest big numbers for Facebook. We'll get happy with the GDP. We'll debate the relative merits of super author Dan Brown. And as always, we'll offer up three stock ideas. But we begin with the big macro. Earlier this week, Fed Chief Ben Bernanke said the recession was, quote, very likely over. New claims for unemployment continue to fall. Manufacturing numbers are getting better. And Warren Buffett told a conference in California this week that he was buying stocks because he's getting, quote, a lot for my money. As of today, guys, the Dow is up more than 50% from its March low. So investors have been feeling bullish for a while. Shannon, I'll start with you. Are you in a buying mood? Uh, well, if Buffett is, I guess I should be, right? It's interesting, you know. You're when just a zombie, <laughs> blindly following him. <laughs> if, if I have to blindly follow anyone, it would be Warren Buffett. And uh, it's interesting to me that he is buying stocks now. At the end of the second quarter, he had been selling uh, certain positions, dialing down significantly his exposure to Moody's and to, to ConocoPhillips as well, and buying uh, treasuries and corporate debt. So if he's buying stocks now, and he says that they're bargains, there probably are. Of course, you know, even uh, as we've discussed here before, even amid a rally that's seen the, the, the Dow rise by 50%, percent uh, from its uh, March lows. There are always individual bargains to be found if you know where to look and how to look. So yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that Warren Buffett's finding It all depends them. on the stock. Yeah. When I hear all this talk about the recession maybe being over, I mean, my, my question is, and all this affects me how? I mean, yeah. <laughs> look how long it took before the economists declared that we were in a recession. It doesn't really matter whether we're out of one or not. I mean, if you look at business cycle theory and market cycle theory, the, the business cycle moves first, um, or excuse me, the market anticipates the business cycle. So somebody following that would say the time to buy financials is already gone, and we've kind of seen that. Uh, and, and now might be a good time to load up on tech and industrials, but this might not be your typical cycle. I think it could be flat. Oof, I don't know about tech. We were buying that a few months ago, and that was before that was cool. It it all depends. And remember that even if the uh, recession is over, the recession for consumers is going to lag and continue. The recession for commercial real estate is going to go for <laughs> who knows how long. So just because technically the economy is growing again, that shouldn't give anyone the idea that suddenly every stock is going to go up anymore from here because the people who buy things and power the earnings are going to be hurting for a while. 70% of GDP. Yep. Right, so the dumb money's been made, so now you got to be smart like uh, Warren. <laughs> There's no hope for us. One year after the collapse of Lehman Brothers, President Obama told Wall Street this week that some are ignoring the lessons of Lehman. And James, we just learned one of those lessons this week. If you're trying to get a message to Warren Buffett, don't leave it on his voicemail. Yeah, the, the story out is this. Um, Barclays president Bob Diamond had talked with Warren about rescuing Lehman like a joint effort. Buffett said, get back to me with more detail. Uh, Bob did, apparently via a voicemail on Warren's cell phone that Warren did not know how to, re- didn't know it was there even. So 10 months later, his daughter somehow un- uncovered it for him. So so the story is maybe Buffett could have stepped in to, to rescue Lehman with Barclays um, had he been able to check his voicemail. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. So how, how did his daughter teach him, Dad, that flashing red light on your phone indicates that there's a message waiting to be uh I don't believe to? this story. This thing sounds too good to be true. I, I read something else. It was Deal Breaker quoting somebody else, quoting somebody else about how when he was asked about this, he pulled out a phone and gave kind of a sly grin. I think this sounds just too good to be true. I think Warren Buffett knows how to get his voicemail. And let's be honest, if you need to get hold of Warren Buffett, you can find other ways. If he really wanted to get back to you, he would. Yeah, it's tempting to call it an urban legend, but I don't think Omaha counts as urban. Yeah, no, <laughs> not a top 50 market itself. I yeah. see some nasty emails. <laughs> That's right, Shannon Z. <laughs> no no offense, Omahans. Is that what they're called? Omahans. Omahans. He doesn't even know. Facebook announced this week that it has registered 300 million users worldwide and is now making a profit. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the company is set up to be a, quote, strong independent service for the long term. Seth, if Facebook <laughs> were a stock, would you be friending it? Oh, uh, no. I mean, what else is that kid going to say? Of course, he has to pretend that this underpants gnome business model of theirs <laughs> is going to work out. This is... Yeah, Perhaps there's a small profit, but they, they need people to throw money at it. And among these users, there are lots and lots of them like me who, who signed up and then said, oh, what a waste of time, and we'll never go back. So I would be really hesitant to read anything into this. I think this is the friendster, the GeoCities of the flavor of the day, and I don't really think it lasts. The, the profit's coming from somewhere, though, isn't it? I mean, I mean, this is this Well, is you, money can, call it a, you can call it a profit no matter how small it is, right? And if you back out the amount of capital you have had to obtain in order to scratch out that profit, you, you'd be underwhelmed. I guarantee it, you, Mr. James Early, Mr. Dividend Stock, would be really underwhelmed. I, I'm not saying it's, it's my kind of company, but, but but this thing is is uh, it just seems so. I'm not on it, but it just seems huge. You know, people are clicking and, and, and seeing these ads. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with Seth's uh, assessment of the the profitability. I mean, so it, we, we don't really know. It's not a, a public company, so we don't know how or or how profitable it is. But I, I disagree that it's a, a useless service. I mean, a lot of folks are using it as a content, personal yeah. content aggregator, and for that, uh, yeah. Oh, I don't purpose, think it's, it's useless. A, it's, it's I just a, don't a think. Thing. I don't think it offers enough use that people are willing to pay for that it would work out for investors. Yeah, there'll be alternatives that people can go to that will remain free. So how much should happiness count for? French President Nicolas Sarkozy says it should count for a lot, and he wants it to be included in the GDP. This comes after a panel of international economists propose new measures of economic output. James, should happiness count? You know, this is an absolute. And, and if so, do we have to back out <laughs> melancholy? Like <laughs> uh, net happiness, yeah. It is a ridiculous idea, but it's strangely interesting, too. Happiness should not count in GDP. That should be a strict measure uh, of, of, of something financial. But th there is some... So some merit to it now. Now, me thinks the French uh, are are trying to angle this around. You know, w whatever metric will benefit them. But but there is. Some, I mean, I was talking with some people uh, who had come to the U.S. from Africa, and they were saying, "Look, you guys have all this money here, and it's great, but you've really got to hustle for it." You know, back where we come from, you know, we we have a lot more time to spend with our friends and our families and and, and etc. Now, you know, I don't want to open this up to a huge philosophical debate, but th there is, you know, th there is a trade off to everything, and I think. It is in some way worth worth trying to look at. I don't know how well we can measure it, though. Are you saying those Nigerian email scammers are happier <laughs> than we are? 
uh, you know, I, I think that's right, that the, the, the French are looking for a data point that would serve their purposes. And what's wrong with that? And maybe they're happy, and I know this is a bit of a, a puff piece, but maybe they're happy because they only spend uh, 11% of their GDP on health care compared with our nearly 17%. It, they rank at the top of the World Health Organization's uh, list of health care systems in the country. We don't even make the top 40 or barely make the top 40. So I think that if, you know, as, as a fan of, uh, of paying less and getting a better product, I too would be happy. So maybe the, the French are happy cheapskates. Oh, come on. You would be happy if you were sleeping with Carla Bruni. Oh, That's why you want to make sure happy. Oh, no, I was not going to go there. On that one. I mean, if you're Nicholas Sarkozy. <laughs> I, can I just point out that irony a happy place. of the country <laughs> that is home to the people in the black turtleneck smoking the cigarettes, pondering the meaninglessness of life, being the one that's trying to the president of, the, of those folks. It's like a Pepe Le Pew cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like trying to <laughs> trying to trying to measure happiness. Measuring happiness is great. I think we should do it, but it you can't put a financial value on it and then pretend it's the same as all this other financial stuff you're measuring. Measure it somewhere else. But you're right. It's practically illegal to be gleeful in, in, in France, you know? Yeah. It's just not that kind of place. Here's one for all you Kindle haters. Dan Brown's new book, The Lost Symbol, is apparently selling better on the Kindle than in hardcover on Amazon.com. No small feat when you consider that the book broke one-day sales records for adult fiction. Seth Jason. Adult. <laughs> Kindle user. What does this say about the Kindle? And what does it say about your man, Dan Brown? I, I'm narrowly going to avoid a Dan Brown uh, hate rage tirade. <laughs> As a guy who studied a lot of art history, he lost me when he invented the uh, symbologists to take over for, for a group of people who already existed, uh, iconographers. But anyway, I was really surprised by this mostly because I thought the Kindle market was really much smaller and much more narrowly focused on uber nerds, the kind of people who would not read Dan Brown. So if they're selling this much Dan Brown on the Kindle, Either I don't understand their end market at all, or there are a lot more of them out there than anyone knows. Or maybe Dan Brown's just more popular than that's we want to. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it's a possible, value yeah. play. They're probably what paying a third or two thirds less it than they would for the hardcover. Cheaper, I think it's fifty percent less or something. like that. They still have yeah. to buy the Kindle. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the point is that there are this this many Kindle owners to exploit this this value play. Which yeah, is I'm surprised intriguing. by that. Yeah. All right, so let me push back a little bit. I, I don't necessarily disagree with Seth's take, but because it's Seth's take, I am going to disagree. You <laughs> of know, course. so uh, you know, there is a, a, an art to negotiating a mainstream, and it is a novel of ideas, like you know, like it or or not. And a lot of people aren't going to read, you know, John Ruskin on the Stones of Venice. And maybe they'll actually learn something about Gothic architecture from Dan Brown. What's so wrong with no, that? No, but you actually, that's the thing is, is he doesn't just mix in something that you can learn. He mixes even the stuff he doesn't make up is so brainless that it, <laughs> that it hurts more than it helps. Don't get me started. Hasbro is taking a page out of Marvel's playbook and is optioning the rights to its games and toys for movies. Reports this week that a director has signed on for a film based on the classic board game Battleship. <laughs> If you're a Hasbro shareholder, are you happy about this? I thought Battleship already... That, that commercial is like high art. You sunk my Battleship! Exactly. Well, now it's going to be a 90-minute you know, you know, movie. And it's actually going to be better than any of the Dan Brown movies that have come out. <laughs> Say what you will, but uh, the, you know, the Da Vinci Code, uh, I think it was about $800 million worldwide. Of course. You know, what's worse is that apparently also in the works are, are films from Monopoly, Candyland, and Clue. <laughs> now, now, first I wanted to hate this so There's bad. There's already you been know? a Clue movie. It was actually oh, very good. Yeah. Clue 2 or something? Wasn't or? there? I think there I, was. I thought so. Oh, there was a Clue. Yeah, there was a, okay, different okay. endings as well. I, I have a bad source then. But 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 clearly, I mean, maybe this is just a function of, of big money funding these movies. They, they just want a, a tried and true thing and these recycled ideas. But yeah. I just wonder how far we can 
stretch this. Big movies where lots of things blow up uh, do well at the box office, and there's not the, the the language barrier. So when you take it to international markets, they can also uh, blow up over there. And and almost the ridiculousness is almost the draw here. I, mean, I think they're looking for things that people like us will go, "What? That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard." Because it people will go to the theater just to see how stupid it might be. And they're doing it just to tick us off. Mm, no, they want some moolah. Now, James and Seth, you're a few years away from playing board games with your kids, but Shannon, I'm sure you know as I know, that Candyland is one of the first board games you're going to play with your kids. Yes. And I think that has the potential to be an amazingly trippy movie. Well, it it could be. We have the Dora edition of Candyland, as a matter of fact. It's an interesting mashup, and it's uh, still deadly dull. (laughs) All right. Before we get to stocks on our radar, guys, we got an email. Folks, you you don't just have to listen. You we can have actu- a listener? You, you can actually <laughs> email us at motleyfoolmoney at fool.com. We did get an email. Keep that card and letter coming. Exactly. And uh, we're going to... Steve Broido, if you could get on mic. Yes. Can, can we get a dramatic reading of the email that we got? Certainly. I am just over 50 years of age and a mild fan of comics, but had never heard of Marvel's character, Asbestos Lady. Just when I think Motley Fool has exhausted all of the available information receptors in my brain, you folks push me upward and onward to new levels of knowledge. Thank you. <laughs> and that's why we're bottom-up investors. Wow. Isn't that great? Of all the of all the great <laughs> ideas we try to discuss in here, it's, it's a plucked fact on asbestos girl that brings in <laughs> asbestos lady asbestos well, but I, think lady. It, it, I did a little wikipedia research and apparently she was known as girl and then was promoted to lady oh, oh wow. okay yeah. it is an upgrade and we love the email i mean we we love you listening for whatever reason that you listen out there whether it's the market commentary stock ideas or the random facts about superheroes like Asbestos Lady. All right, as we head into the next week, Shannon, what's one stock that's on your radar? Well, I'm going to stick with the healthcare angle that I've been working lately. Uh, you, you know, as the conversation around reform has continued and moves toward what looks like pretty tepid uh, cost control, that's benefited the health insurance plan industry, which has done remarkably well over the last three months. I think the dumb money there has already been made, and cost controls are coming uh, nonetheless. Whether in this legislation or on down, down the line, they're, they're coming. And so a company like Inventive, which I know is probably near and dear at Seth Hart, uh, it, it's a great place to look. They make uh, a rev- they make revenue streams out of uh, tasks that are cost centers for the big boys. And so, if you're looking for a play on the coming cost controls in healthcare, Infiniv is a great uh, company to take a look at. Yeah, we own that over at Hidden Gems for those reasons. Yep, James. Chris, I, I was poking around and I, f- I found this stock called Buckle, and I, I've talked to Seth about this. And I'm not—it's on my radar. I'm not sure what to think about it, but it's shtick. It's basically a denim company that also sells some T-shirts and stuff for the for the younger set. You know, way too cool for somebody like me. But uh, unlike Abercrombie and, and American Eagle, it sells other brands too. So it sells uh, maybe 20, 30 percent its house brand and other brands. So uh, arguably, uh, that makes it a little bit more defensible f- uh, against the the fads that come and go. Uh, the pessimists might say, well, somebody like a Macy's can do the same thing. But it's, it's, it's same-store sales are doing very well compared to its peers, and it's basically on the up and up. Wow. James and I are in the same industry. I'm, I'm looking at Aeropostal, which is making new 52-week highs, which the technical analysts out there will say means buy, buy, buy. It'll keep going up. I'm wondering. Now, they've done a great job. They are the... They're the cheap Abercrombie. You've got the three levels of Abercrombie. You had four with Rule. You had Rule, Abercrombie, and Fitch. Then Aeropostale, which was, or, uh, sorry, uh, American yeah. Eagle, kind of in the middle, and then Aeropostale, sort of at the bottom. When the economic crisis hit, Aeropostale seemed to roll up all the business because the sales at the more expensive chains that were that were roughly equivalent just dried up. But Aeropostale is now priced 
for a real premium performance that may not continue. Now, they're very profitable. They run smaller stores. There's a lot of good reasons to like this stock. Just be careful where you buy it. Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Timmerick. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be Welcome with you, Chris. Chris. Thanks for listening to this edition of Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Do your homework and make your own decisions. And remember, the conversation continues 24-7 at fool.com. I'm Chris Hill. We'll see you next time.